It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Good morning. It's Friday, June 17th. You are listening to the College Football Daily. I'm your host, Lance Glenn. Before we start, I just want to wish all the dads listening, especially my dad, an early happy Father's Day. Our trip around the country continues as we head out west and talk about Washington State. Joining me on the line now to discuss the Cougars is Jamie Vinnick. He covers Washington State for 24-7 sports, cougfan.com. Jamie, how are you doing? Thanks so much for coming on and joining me. Really appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for having me, Lance. Uh, happy to Happy to help out and talk Coug football. First and foremost, Jamie, I want to look back to last season, and obviously the big storyline was Nick Rolovich and his refusal to comply with the vaccine mandate, thus resulting in his firing in October. How crazy was that whole situation last season? How much of a distraction was it? And how much of an effect did it have on the program and the players in 2021? Yeah, I mean, it, it, it was wild. And it was, you know, I mean, I can just say firsthand, it was my first season covering the, the team as kind of a, as my beat. So, you know, I, I get told, hey, July, you're doing the beat. And then a week later, his statement comes out that he's not getting vaccinated or isn't vaccinated at that point. I, I don't think it was much of a distraction for the players at least they never said it was or they said it wasn't you know that could have just been player speak but I think their focus was playing football and winning games now outside of the the locker room yeah it, it was a distraction I mean I, I think that you know he's he's getting asked about it during every press conference every interview and it, that was uh, as he probably should have been I mean it was a a huge storyline and as journalists it's our job to cover the storyline so you know I, I think it was frustrating for some that just wanted to hear him talk football and just wanted to hear him talk about the games. But, you know, the question had to be asked, especially as he got closer and closer to that October 18th date where, okay, is he even going to be coaching again next week? And, you know, the growing feeling was he wasn't going to be. So I think it was an odd situation. Um, I think the players handled it really well. I mean, I, I think that they could have very easily, after that Stanford win, folded, gone four and eight, lost, lost the rest of their games. They didn't. They went three and two to end the season and then lost the bowl game um, significantly shorthanded. But I think it kind of rallied them together in a way. And I think it helped having Jake Dickert take over. And I think a big part of that was Dickert's kind of the balance between what Mike Leach was and what Nick Rolovich was, whereas Leach was, as Abe Lucas described it, a Dick dictator and Rolovich was the players coach. Dickert's still very well liked by the players, but he's a little tougher. There's a little more discipline than maybe there was under Rolovich. So uh, just overall, it was a crazy situation. Um, I think it was a distraction around the program. I don't know if it was internally, but it was externally without a question. And for you, first season covering just the football beat, you I'm sure want to write about football and talk football and you get thrown into a whole vaccination discussion. Quite the, uh, quite the couple of events you had to deal with right off the bat. Yeah, I mean, I, I kind of, you know, just talked it over with my bosses and they said, let's just avoid the vaccine questions. Um, someone's going to ask him. We don't need to be the one to ask him. Um, you know, the thing is, I actually, I liked Rolovich. Um, he was always very personable. I, I never had any issues with him. But, you know, I'd be lying if I said on October 20th when we talked to Jake Dickert, there wasn't at least somewhat of a of a relief that, OK, we can just talk football. It doesn't have to be vaccine, you know, because if someone asks about the vaccine, that's got to be the, the part of the story. I mean, it's just natural. But um, no, I, I always said, you know, from the moment that it all came out to the moment that, you know, he finished coaching at Washington State. I liked him. I thought he I, I thought he was personable. I thought he was going to do a good job. Um, obviously, you know, there was just <laughs> the factors that he couldn't keep coaching. But, you know, the other thing I think that the, the one thing that it uh, it really hindered is it wasn't so much. I don't know if the season uh, was affected necessarily in terms of wins and losses by his decision. Um, there were some other decisions people would have questioned um, in terms of his coaching. But, you know, the one thing a lot of people point to is the recruiting just tanked. I mean, for from the moment that the statement came out in July till Dicker took over, I mean, they barely sent out offers. They barely got any commits. So 
you know, Dicker kind of had to scrap together that class and did a pretty good job with it. They got some really good players, but it, it, that was probably the biggest impact that was felt was just the, you know, they had they had a good weekend of visitors the last weekend of June. They got a couple commits and then that was it. It was radio silent for the most part for the next four months. So speaking of additions and speaking of recruiting, let's fast forward to this offseason. The biggest addition of it for Washington State was transfer quarterback Cameron Ward. The report on him was that he's raw, but look, the physical tools are there. Adding to that, he obviously follows his former coach, Eric Morris, to Washington State, who took over as offensive coordinator. So look, familiarity, I'm sure, could only help a quarterback going to a new place. What did you see from Ward? in this spring and this offseason? And how big are the expectations on him? Because even though he's yet to play at a power five level, he's coming to Pullman with quite the hype around him. Yeah, I think when it comes to Cam, the first thing you notice is just how um, it's just how level headed he is. You know, he is not caught up in his own hype. He is not strutting out there like he owns the place, um, you know, which he kind of does. I mean, he was it was clear from the moment that spring ball started. He was a starting quarterback. There was no battle. It was his job. But that's just not who Cam is. Cam is very down to earth. You know, he, he cares about his teammates. He cares about winning. He's not buying into the hype. He's not saying, hey, look at me. I'm Cam Ward. Things you saw in spring ball were a lot of what he was advertised as. You know, he's, he's deadly in the pocket, but he can make plays off script. You know, he made plays where he's kind of drifting to the sideline. It looks like he's going to chuck it out of bounds. Suddenly, he tosses something back across the field to a wide open receiver. Now, there were times where you saw the kind of the learning curve, times where he makes a throw that Adding current Ward is probably a completion at Washington State or facing Pac-12 teams. It's not because the linebackers are quicker. They're more athletic. The DBs have better closing speed. So I think there were some moments that it was like, OK, this is power five football. This is not the Southland Conference anymore. And I think Cam knew that was going to happen, though. I don't think Cam expected to step in and, oh, everything's going to go my way. I'm going to be able to throw 5,000 yards and 57 touchdowns in my first season. He knew there was going to have to be some learning, and I think it was it was on display at times during spring ball. But I mean, overall, the positives outweighed the negatives. He really did a lot of good things, and you know, it's hard to take you know a ton of it out of seven on seven and no contact, and the pass rush slows up. But you know, you, you did see the the flashes of why he was so highly regarded. What makes him so uh, you know what makes the hype around him so big? It's only a kick, a jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. Two guys, unfortunately, he won't be throwing to this season. Calvin Jackson and Travell Harris, they were third and fourth, respectively, in the Pac-12 last season in receptions, both over 800 yards. They combined for 16 touchdowns in 2021, both onto the NFL, Jackson to the Jets and Harris to the Browns. How does Washington State replace their production? And I guess, should we be worried that there could not just be a setback in that position, but a pretty significant one, considering just how much those two guys were relied on last year? You know, on the service, I think that's fair. You, you look at what they did and just the abilities they have in every aspect of the receiving game. And I think it could 
could be said, yeah, it could be problematic. I don't see it as being such. And I think a big reason for that is Renard Bell, who's been there now for seven years. He knows the system. He knows the air raid. He knows what it takes to compete at this level. And I think that he's, is he going to put up 900 yards next year? I don't know. I think it's going to be more of a spread around offense like we saw with Leach rather than in the run and shoot. Those guys got the ball 60, 70 times. So I think Bell will help kind of soften that blow. And I think the other guy to watch is Lincoln Victor. He was at Hawaii with Nick Rolovich, came over as a walk-on, bet on himself at Washington State, earned a scholarship. You know, he, he was he was a backup last year behind behind Harrison Jackson, but you saw the plays, you saw the potential. And he's kind of unique in the sense that he's really their leader. He, you know, he's not the quarterback, uh, but he's kind of the vocal leader. He is a former quarterback, was a state champion in high school. Is it going to be the same production from those two that they got out of Harrison Jackson? Maybe not. But I do think with Bell and Victor, it's not as dire as it may have been. And just having veterans and, you know, you're not throwing out two freshmen or two redshirt sophomores or anything, or two redshirt freshmen, I should say, into the fire. You're throwing out guys who have played college football and have played at the highest levels. And then I think, you know, you bring back both your outside receivers and Donovan Ali and Dejon Stribling. That'll help. You add Zariah Beeson from Oregon State. And then they have a crop of freshmen they really like. You know, they the coaching staff is really high on Orion Peters, who had some injuries, but the speed is there. The route running's there. You know, is he going to have a huge impact right away? Maybe we'll have to kind of ease himself in. They brought in Robert Farrell from Incarnate Word. That was Cam Ward's favorite target uh, at UIW another guy to kind of help with that depth. So again, I don't think they'll have the two 900 yard guys that they did last year, but they're going to have, I think a lot of five to 600 yard guys. Jamie switching over to the defense, the secondary and the pass defense overall, I thought really stood out last year, top four in the PAC 12 when it comes to passing yards per game allowed. And they were able to force turnovers, 15 interceptions on the season, which was tied for third in the conference, the rushing defense, more middle of the pack finished seventh in the conference in rushing yards allowed per game. Do you foresee the same things again this coming year where the pass defense is more the strength of that unit or can the rush defense kind of take that next step and vault themselves towards the top of the conference as well? No, I think the pass defense is one thing we're still trying to kind of figure out um, in terms of how good is it going to be. Um, They lose Jalen Watson. He was their bona fide number one shutdown corner without question. But Derek Langford actually had a really solid year kind of as the number two guy. He'll step into that number one role. And they have four guys really competing for that second spot, that being Shaw Smith-Wade, Chris Jackson, who transferred from Michigan State a couple years ago, uh, Caleb Ford-Dement from Old Dominion, and then Cam Lampion, who just transferred in from Utah State. So there again, it's not throwing some rookie, some some unknown into the fire. Three guys with Division One experience at other schools, and then Smith-Wade has played plenty in his first couple of years. You know, safety, I think, is still a question. They lost Daniel Eisen. They lost George Hicks. They lost uh, uh, Tyrone Hill. But Jordan Lee comes from Nevada. He expects to slide in at strong safety. I think they're still trying to figure out free safety. There are some question marks there. Adrian Shepard ran with the ones for the most for most of spring ball. There is still a lot of rawness to his game, though. He's a guy who hasn't played at this level. Made a couple of sparse appearances in, in late game situations when they're up 30. Um, Sam Lockett's a Juco transfer, but you know, it's kinda it took him a while to kind of get used to the defense. So will the secondary be as good? It's hard to say. I think it has the potential, but they're gonna need someone to really fill that free safety role and they'll need Langford to kind of fill in what they lost in Watson. As for the run defense, I do think it'll be better. Um, I, I think just getting Pete Caligas in there, you know, having him develop Christian Mejia and Antonio Pule and, and Amir Mujahid, you know, all guys who were in their final year. So a little more experience there. Uh, Nusi Milani, the transfer from Virginia, he'll help a lot. But then I also think the linebacker position is in a weird way going to be an upgrade. And, you know, Jihad Woods and Justice Rogers, no player in Coop history have played more games than those two. I mean, they were veterans. Jihad, one of the top 10 tacklers in program history. And they were, you know, your, your gritty, tough, old school linebackers. But they maybe weren't the modern linebacker. They weren't the Micah Parsons type, the guys that you see kind of the hybrids. 
I think Dayon Henley from Nevada is more of that. You know, he was all, all Mountain West last year, was probably the best player in the spring on either side of the ball. And then I think a mixture of Travion Brown and Francisco Mangoa. Mike, I think if the run defense improves, a big reason why is going to be they just have a different breed of linebacker. They have more athleticism there. They have more physicality. They have maybe a little more of that, again, that that newer age, modernized linebacker. So, Jamie, a couple more from me. So, look, Jake Dickert, a defensive guy, was the defensive coordinator for Nick Rolich before becoming the interim and now the permanent head coach. I think head coaches, especially relatively new ones, they tend to gravitate towards the units they have experience with and like to leave the other unit, whether it's offense or defense, to that coordinator. Is that how Jake Dickert approaches his offense? You know, was Eric Morris coming over as offensive coordinator after being the head coach of Incarnate Ward? Is he essentially like the head coach of the offense? Yes and no. I think that Dickert does entrust Morris with the offense. Um, it's not a situation where he's saying, you know, Mike Leach did not have anything to do with the defense. I mean, it, it was he had nothing to do with the defense. Um, Nick Rolovich had very little to do with the defense. It's not quite to that degree. Jake's still involved with the offense. You know, he did play wide receiver um, in college, so he does know the offensive side of the game. It's not a pure defensive guy. I mean, he's been a defensive coach his whole career, but so he's still kind of looking and, and poking around, and I think they discuss a lot of things. Um, but he does trust Morris, and I think he brought him in to be his offensive coordinator, not to be an offensive assistant, or he, he trusts him with the offense. I think Jake had a big input in what they're going to run um, and, and you know, and kind of what they're going to do in that sense. But Morris is, I, I wouldn't call him the head coach of the offense, but it's his offense. It's not a, a split duo. It's just Jake is still somewhat involved. But um, he's more, and then on defense, again, he's involved, but he brought in Brian Ward to be his defensive coordinator. So he's not, I don't want to say overstepping his boundaries, um, but he's not overly involved in the, the nitty gritty of that. He's kind of, and he's talked about that. It's it's tough to let go of of being the defensive coordinator, and he finds himself, you know, feeling like, oh, I got to do this with my defense. Oh, wait, that's not my job anymore. So I think he has taken on the role of just the head coach, though, and that it, it's his responsibility to oversee the offense, to oversee the, the defense, to oversee the special teams, but that he has guys in place to do, you know, the coordinator duties and the, the assistant coaching duties. So, Jamie, last one from me. Where are expectations in Jake Dicker's first full season? Because, look, the schedule isn't easy at Wisconsin, at USC, Oregon, Utah, at Oregon State. Obviously, look, there's not a bowl mandate. It's a coach's first season, first full season, I should say. But do fans expect bowl game as the Dicker era really gets going? I think yes. Do they expect the Rose Bowl? Probably not. But I do think there is a, a belief that this team will at least get to one of the maybe lower end bowl games. I think they're, they're a six and six to eight and four type team. Um, I, I do think that, you know, bringing back one of the best edge duos, if not the best edge duo in the conference, is, is going to be a huge part of their success. You know, and having Ron Stone and having Brennan Jackson, two guys who were all Pac 12 last year, Stone on the first team, Jackson as an honorable mention, they were disruptive. And they are the type of guys that can change games. I think there's enough faith in what Ward will be able to do at this level. And what they replaced at receiver that, okay, they can at least be good enough to get them to six, seven wins. I do think that down the road, could they start pushing for nine or 10? Yes. I don't think they're there yet. I do think they still have to replace some things. Um, there's still a lot of questions on the offensive line. Uh, it's a lot better than I expected. Um, I was actually fairly impressed during spring ball. I think a lot of the guys that maybe struggled last season or even struggled in the Sun Bowl took a lot of steps in the offseason. Guys like Connor Gomnis, who had moments where he looked overwhelmed during the middle of last year, looked like a 10-year veteran this year. Um, running back is still a question. You know, Nikia Watson is kind of your downhill 
power back, is he a great fit for the air raid? That we're still trying to figure out. So I, I do think you'll see some of the losses, you know, the loss of Max Borgie, the loss of Abraham Lucas, the loss of some of these veterans and, and all conference level guys. But I do think there was enough remaining talent, especially at edge, at quarterback, at receiver, that they're going to be able to still at least get into a bowl, probably win six to eight games, maybe steal one from one of the big teams, um, and then kind of build on that from there and start trying to push higher and higher. You can follow him on Twitter at JamieVinnick9, covers Washington State football for 24-7 sports, CougFan.com. Jamie, thanks so much for joining me. Really appreciate it. Yep, thanks, Lance. Appreciate you uh, having me on. Washington State opens the season September 3rd at home against Idaho. For Jamie Vinnick, I am Lance Glenn. Have a happy Father's Day weekend, everyone, and thanks for listening to the College Football Daily. CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. I survive. You make quick, smart decisions and you never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus.